Tonight we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. Uh, excited to be in the book of Matthew and uh, back in the Gospels. I um, invite you to turn your Bible, if you have it, uh, or follow along your phone. I think it's going to be on the screen behind me as well, um, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he from whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we're going to pray, because when this many things go wrong, something is afoot. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would capture our hearts, capture our attentions. Um, Lord, I think the word tonight through your word is so powerful, so special, and meaningful, whether we have walked with you for years or whether we are considering walking with you for the first time. So, Lord, would you just transcend all of time? Would you come alive through the pages of the Scripture? Would your spirit move? And we ask this all in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Tonight is is uh, it's it's about expectations, and uh, and if we if we haven't met, I'm Thomas Nelson. I'm the young adult pastor here at Christ Covenant, and I just want to tell you that I, I believe that God is full of surprises. And when I lose pursuit of my kingdom, for his, then it's by his grace that I enter into this blissful state of thrilling in God's story. And I stop fighting him for my own story. And I think you're going to see that illustrated in this passage and some of the testimonies that I'm going to share. But I just want to say it is very good to be back with you. We, uh, we had a little trip to Israel for a couple of weeks, and uh, we, we served over there and studied over there, and uh, it was just a great team. But a little shout out to the folks who went to Israel, the folks who went to Paris, the folks who are going to Mexico. Uh, we're kind of in, in round two of uh, two summers now of sending people on short-term trips. And I just want you to know that those folks, if you're friends with some of those folks, they're pioneers. 
Like the ch- this church is developing a DNA, a culture of going out and serving. And so hats off to the pioneers. Hopefully if you meet some of those folks and you find out like they're normal, it will normalize going on trips for you too. And, uh, and if you haven't been in the future when they're offered, just pray about it. Just pray, Lord, should I go on one of these short-term trips? Uh, and I think you'll find in that that what, there's this really interesting verse in 1 John. It's like near the end. You know, John, 1 John such an interesting book in general. He ends the whole book by saying, little children, keep yourself from idols. Like, there's your thought for the night. Like, it's just a fascinating last little line that he could have put anything in there, but that's what he put. But in the same chapter, 1 John 5, he says, the commands of God are not burdensome. And I don't know if you've thought about that because every week here on Tuesday nights, we go through the scriptures and in every, every one of these scriptures, there's a command of God. On Sundays, when we teach the word, there's always a command of God and it can feel, and sometimes this is the preacher's fault, it can feel burdensome at times. Um, but don't let, you, don't let yourself get deceived that if God asks you to shift directions in your life, don't mistake that for a burden. And I want us to see that there's actually freedom when he asks us to shift in our life. And so uh, as we roll into tonight's passage um, that Chad just read for us, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 19, I, I want to just, as we get into that, I want to tell you about a, a Bible character. His name is Demas. And so you may not know much about Demas. If you don't, that's fine. I didn't know about Demas until somebody in a similar setting told me about Demas. Um, And Demas was like an early follower of Jesus. He was an early disciple. And in fact, Paul, a couple of times in his letters, he references Demas. Uh, And he's saying like, uh, me and Mark and Demas uh, welcome you. And me and -and so-and-so and Demas are here faithfully serving the Lord. So he mentions Demas a couple of times. But then, as he writes his last letter that Paul, we think Paul ever wrote, 2 Timothy, he says in there, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It's so interesting. He's like, he's mentioned twice. And like, that's, there's no like revisionist history here. Nobody went back through and they were like, let's take his name out because that kind of mars the story. His name is in there twice by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when Paul encourages and says, this guy's awesome, but his name's in there a third time when Paul says, I want you to know this guy walked away from the faith. And so I think you got to ask the question, like what makes somebody walk away from the faith? Because you see that narrative a bunch in the gospels. You see people follow Jesus and then Jesus says stuff like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood in John 6 and people leave. You see Jesus do miracles, but then those same people that were the beneficiaries of those miracles, they leave. And so you got to ask the question, like, what would make somebody walk away from their faith? I think so many times it's because people feel like God failed them. Like, still single, or single again, or sick, or divorced, or finances, or status, or like Heather and I's story, my wife, like infertility. There's, there's so many things that people experience in life that they, they think that God should have done that thing. And let's be, let's be honest, let's be fair critics. God could do that thing. 
So many times the reason people walk away from God is not because they had this really sinful desire and God wouldn't honor it. That, it, that does happen. But so many times the reason people walk away from God is because God was perfectly capable of doing something and he doesn't. And I wonder if that was part of Demas' story. I wonder if he had expected something from God and didn't, God didn't deliver that thing. And so Demas walks away. But before we jump in, I do think context is so important. If real estate, if it's location, 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 then the Bible is context, context, context. You got to know like what, what is happening here. Why would, why would Jesus give this discourse? Why would John the Baptist's uh, disciples show up? So just a quick little 30,000 foot view. If you go all the way back to Matthew chapter eight, which we were in about a month, maybe a month and a half ago, um, If you go all the way back there, Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, Jesus does miracles. He does three miracles, and then he calls people to follow him. And then he does three more miracles, and he calls people to follow him. And then he does three more miracles, and then he tells everybody who's following him to go out. And then last week, we got into chapter 10, and in chapter 10, he's instructing folks what to do when they go out as missionaries for the Lord. And what we saw in these passages is that he often calls us at inopportune times. Matthew was just at work, working when he got called. The Lord is not on your schedule or mine. And so there are times that he calls you and you're thinking, this is incredibly inconvenient. You're on the second date and the Lord tells you there will not be a third. You haven't even ordered dessert Like there are times that the Lord has called, and that's obviously humorous, but it happens like in all the time. You're sitting there and you're in a job interview and then you realize like they're about to offer you the job and you know, I shouldn't take this one. Like the Lord does things on his timetable, not on ours. So he often calls it inopportune times. He always asks us to leave our former life behind. You see that in chapters eight, nine, and 10. He always redirects our gifts for his purpose. Matthew was an, uh, uh, basically an accountant. He was a tax collector, and he recorded this whole book, and he recorded it meticulously. The Lord used the detailed personality of Matthew not to say, okay, Matthew, leave your detailed personality behind, and you just go be all willy-nilly over there and just have a great time with the boys. Like, he was like, no, 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 you're going to use that, but you're going to use it for me. And so we also see in all of these callings that we can't stay where we are, or we can stay where we are, we can follow Jesus, but we can't stay where we are and follow Jesus. And I don't mean that in proximity. I mean that in who you are at your core. God's not a good sharer. He wants all of you. And so we see that in these chapters. And following Jesus is no guarantee of a comfortable life. We're not going to soft sell the gospel. Following Jesus is hard. I once met uh, this man for breakfast early, early one morning. And uh, he was like, he was like, like, just like blue collar, like good dude. Owned like, I think he owned a, a, a septic tank company. Um, he was like, like, he probably made more money than anybody in here, but like he was like blue collar through and through. Like he had done really well in his septic tank business. Um, but still, like he, he worked with his hands. He worked with a bunch of guys who worked with his hands. And we sat down. He'd come, to, he'd come to faith late in life. He was like mid-50s when he'd come to faith. And he said, I tell people, if you want your life to go to hell, just give it to Jesus. And he'll mess your life up. 
And he just went on for like the next 10, 15 minutes just telling us how once he had come to Christ, like he had to change all these things. He was a terrible salesman for the Lord, but he was like very honest. He was very, very, very candid, very honest. Like Jesus, Jesus doesn't give us a guarantee of a comfortable life. And I feel like I should like pad that, but I won't. Uh, and so I think what we also see in all of this, and this is basically what Jesus says at the end of Matthew 10. The only way to find my life is to lose my life in following Jesus. So let's take a look at chapter 11 here. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are, we, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And verse 6, if you're like an underliner or a circler of verses in your Bible, go ahead and just circle number 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus, Jesus says this about the greatest prophet who's ever lived. He's going to go on in this passage and he's going to, he's going to say, there's no one born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. He's, he's, putting like, he's putting Moses in that category, Abraham in that category. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet who ever lived. He, got, he had the honor of being what's called the forerunner. He was the one who, the, the final one to pave the way for Jesus. What a, what a chosen life. What a stamp of honor. He says, he says that, uh, he, well, he doesn't, I'm sorry, he doesn't critique John's doubts he doesn't, uh, he doesn't dismiss John's ministry, but instead he answers John's question. And, you know, John's, John's ministry and his, his, his statements about Jesus are so powerful. In, uh, in John 1.29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 3.30, after the famous John 3.16, John the Baptist says, after being around Jesus, he says, I must decrease, that Jesus must increase. That sticker company in Hawaii, the, the, he is greater than I, like they stole it from John. Like they, uh, I mean, like he's, he, he is the pinnacle of this faithful called man, and yet he's having doubts. And so just a side note, not even a, a big note in the sermon tonight, but just a side note. I think the discourse that Jesus gives, the whole, the whole rest of this section, says that he's okay when you have those seasons of doubts. Because he doesn't doubt, and he doesn't waver. And he's okay when we come to him in our doubts and wavering. But beware, he will shoot straight with us when we do. Because he is faithful, as Paul says, even when we are not. And what happens in, in this passage is that John asks what looks like a normal question, are you the one who is to come? And then Jesus gives what looks like a clear quote from the Old Testament, if you're familiar with your Old Testament. But actually, both questions 
our Old Testament. So let me just, let me show you, uh, I'll show you on the iPad, how about that? So in Malachi 3.1, the last book of the Old Testament, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. There was a Hebrew expression that they, they said, when Messiah comes, he will be the coming one. And so that was common language, the coming one. Who is the coming one? Who's it gonna be? And they took it from verses like Malachi 3.1. There's a couple of other verses that that phrase was pulled from, but Malachi 3.1, where they says, behold, he is coming. In Hebrew, it would be, he's the coming one. And that's what John is asking. He says, are you the coming one? Are you the one that Malachi talked about? Are you the one that was prophesied over? Now he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I really think John the Baptist knew this was Messiah, but I think what he was asking is are you the triumphant king or the suffering servant? And what we see in this passage is that John asked a question and the question comes from a passage on the triumphant king. This is second coming. And Jesus will return and he will be the Lord of hosts and he will walk in and he will take over and he will right all the wrongs. And while John is in prison, wrongly in prison, he's asking, is that you or not? Now remember, when you ask Jesus hard questions, he will give you straight answers. Jesus answers back with about three different chapters or three different passages. I'm just gonna show you one of them. He answers back from Isaiah 42, six through seven, Isaiah 35, four through six, and a couple of other passages. But here's what he says. He answers back and he says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind. But look where, look where Jesus stops. He says, I'm gonna stop right there, John. And he doesn't include the rest of the passage. And he does that with all the other passages that he combines together. All those passages speak about freeing prisoners, getting them out. Jesus stops short on every one of those passages and he says, John, I am the suffering servant. That's me. And one day when I return, I'll be the triumphant king. But for now, this is me. And John, I'm going to open the eyes of the blind. I'm going to heal the lame. I'm going to heal the lepers. I'm going to do incredible things. But John, to answer your question, you're going to stay in prison. Now that's why people walk away from God. The verse Jesus quoted back says he could have gotten him out of prison, but he said, I'm not going to, John. In essence, Jesus says three things. He says, John, I am the Messiah, and for now, I'm the suffering servant. He says, John... You won't get out of prison. And then loaded in that statement, 
verse 6 essentially says, John, do you trust me still? You, I promise you, you will have moments in your life that are akin to John the Baptist being in prison, knowing that the Lord can get you out. And you will have an even more full picture of the Bible with you. You'll see in the book of Acts how Paul and or Peter and Silas were in prison and how, how God opens a door miraculously and gets them out of prison. You'll have a full picture of the Bible and you'll know the things that God can do and is capable of doing and has even done for other people. But for you, that will not be his choice. Our expectations are so wonderful, but they're also so dangerous. In the book of Isaiah, there's this incredible passage. And it's Isaiah 8, verses 11 through 15. It says, For the Lord spoke thus to me. Look at this. With his strong hand. Don't you think Jesus was speaking with a strong hand in Matthew 11? He loved John the Baptist. When John the Baptist gets beheaded, all Jesus wants to do is get away and be alone with the Father. It was his best friend on earth, and yet it wasn't best for him to get out of prison. He truly would decrease that Jesus would increase. So Isaiah says, the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me. And what did the Lord say to him? The Lord's warning him not to walk in the way of the people. He says, don't call, I love this, I love this modern language, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But, and by the way, when you see this verse in the Bible, it's always, it's always like you kind of want to take a deep breath and see what's coming next, especially when it says, but the Lord or but God, but the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, the Lord of the angel armies. No one more powerful than him, the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Now let's just pause right there. If, if Just pretend you can't see the rest of the verse. Don't fear and don't dread what they do, but do fear and do dread God? Well, that seems like some sort of weird Stockholm syndrome. Like God's trying to like brainwash us. Yeah, the rest of the world, they got it wrong. You listen to me. I mean, that seems like coercion. It seems like the Lord's trying to manipulate us. But what, what does he say here? I don't fear what they fear. I don't dread what they dread. I begin to fear the Lord. I begin to revere the Lord. I begin to be in awe. That's the same word for awe is dread. I begin to be in, in awe of the Lord. I revere him. I'm in awe of him. And what happens? He becomes a sanctuary. What happens is this upside-down kingdom. When I begin to trust that God is good as he is, that God's plan is good, that he is all-wise, and this, this first verse that I underlined, or the first word that I underlined in that hot pink there, what a beautiful color, is holy. 
when I realize that he is altogether on another playing field, a different league, a whole nother place than I am, and I realize I'm actually more bad and more broken than I thought, I can't tell my left from my right, when I realize, start to realize that he is holy, altogether lovely, totally different than you and I. He becomes a true sanctuary. He becomes the fortress that you run to. He becomes the keeper of your secrets. He becomes your confidant. He becomes your leader and your guide. And you don't dread what they dread. And you don't fear what they fear. And you don't believe all the conspiracies they believe because you've been invited into this upside down kingdom and you start to see the world totally different. But the people, the Demases of the world, who walk away because God failed them somehow, the same Jesus who becomes a sanctuary for those caught in the upside down. He becomes a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. He becomes a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many shall stumble on it and they shall fall and they will be broken and then they will be snared and they will be taken. There is no middle ground It is those who live in the upside down, whose eyes have been opened, whose ears have been cleared, that see, it is okay if God doesn't live up to my expectations. It's okay that he is God and I am not. It's okay that he gets to be in charge and I get to be his servant. In fact, I find incredible joy and peace because I know the one who holds the stars in place. There is a brokenness in us that we can't even really understand. We see glimpses of it in the way that we treat each other, in the way that we parade our our sexuality, in, in the memes that we make about disasters and make light of them. We're all much more broken, much more bad than we can imagine, and God is much more holy and much more good than we can comprehend. Do you realize that Jesus says, right after he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know what he said right after that? He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn it. Do you know why sinners and tax collectors and women of the night and all these different kinds of people on the outskirts of the Jewish religious life love Jesus? It's the same reason so many of us love Jesus. Because he didn't condemn us when he met us. You know why? Because we were already condemned. He's not looking at us going, you are a mess. I cannot stand the choices you're making. What's wrong with you? No, he looks at us and he's like, they're drowning. More accurately, biblically, he looks at us and he says, they're dead. I'm going to revive them. I'm going to bring them back to life. I'm going to give them a new hope and a future. That's the Jesus we serve. He's so good and so kind and so lovely when we are none of those things. In fact, one of those other but God verses is Ephesians chapter 2. I love Ephesians chapter 2. It's so powerful. It says, I'm going to do the first seven verses. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Jesus had spiritual eyes to see this about everyone he encountered when he was walking on the earth. And he certainly hasn't lost that eyesight in heaven. 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then comes the great two words, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And after being saved, he raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus never confused people by saying he was one thing and doing another. From the very beginning, He was always coming the first time as the suffering servant to reconcile us to the Lord. He is the suffering servant and the triumphant king in the scriptures. And when he returns, all the prisoners will be set free. All the rights, all the wrongs will be made right. But right now, he may not meet your expectations. Jesus has always been clear about who he is and about our condition. And this is why we are blessed when we are not offended by him. When we come to the place where we realize reality, he is God and we are not. And we are, I think, a few, a few ways to maybe explain this. We are to embrace God as he is and not as we wish him to be being mindful that God loves us as we are and not as we should be, for none of us are as we should be. We need to be mindful that we're made in the image of God. God is not made in our image. Numbers 23, 19 says, I am not a man like you that I should lie. There's only two stories that we can pursue, but only one that will last. There is God's story. It is his story. And then there's my story. Demas chose his own story over his story. When we were in, uh, in Israel, there was a, it was a great team. I have a picture of them. I didn't ask permission. I just put them up there. Lovely group. That's right outside of the Mount of Beatitudes. I won't take you much further into photos because then you'll be thinking it's like vacation time with your grandpa, and I'll stop that. Um, show you the photos from the cruise we took. Um, but... This is, a few, a few of the folks up there um, sent me a little note saying that while they were there, they had this moment, this kind of John the Baptist moment when they realized the Lord may do something that is contrary to what they hoped or wanted. And so I just wanted to read you a little bit of, of their stories, um, and I'm going to say your name too. So if you have a problem, after the sermon, you go to them and not me. All right, so Hannah Drake, tall, red-headed girl, real sweet, Hannah. Hannah said, um, leads a small group, has a white shirt on tonight. Um, <laughs> Hannah Drake said, on the Palm Sunday road, thinking about the Jews that knew the scriptures and thought they were witnessing the triumphant king and worshiping him, thinking about how to overthrow Rome. She says, that's the main thing that I've been sharing about this trip with my friends. 
How many times, even knowing the word, can I still turn and find myself wanting things from Jesus instead of wanting him and trusting what he is doing as more wise and loving than I can ever imagine? We walk down that road that Jesus walked down on the triumphal entry. And just a few days later, all those same people that were taking their coats off and laying them down and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, put him on a cross. How does someone's mind change that quick in five days? They wanted Jesus to be their savior for them getting rid of Rome. And Jesus said, I'm a much bigger savior than that. I want to save you from your sins. But it wasn't enough for them, so they killed him. Mitch Lance, handsome, good-looking, has a girlfriend right now, so hold off. (laughs) Mitch Lance says, at least he did on the trip. I hope that's still a thing. I'll correct it in the group me if not. Uh, Hey, Thomas, I think one of the biggest walls broken down for me came at Kersey. Kersey, if you know the story of the demoniac that was chained to the tombs that would break his chains. If you don't know the story, it's a great bedtime read. Um, he said, uh, he said, I've been sitting in a pretty hard season of life recently and have been feeling expectant of the Lord to bring me out of that season because it's been so hard. I think sitting there and hearing Jesus tell the demoniac he needed to stay despite the demoniac's wishes was an, accept- was an expectation of Jesus I had never considered. Hearing now Jesus, hearing how Jesus sometimes asks us to stay in our places we think in our minds would be unfruitful for the kingdom or for our lives was a wall broken down for me. And also how the demoniac could have been the gateway for the Gentiles in that region was a really cool moment for me and made me reconsider how Jesus is actually moving in the season that I'm in and not just how I expect him to move. That's good. That's good. These are all good. Um, Brandon Schroeder. Brandon's awesome. I think he's single too, ladies. All right, we carry on. Okay, he is. He is, and he's on the market. He's available. All right, that's great. Um, He's got a fan base too. Uh, And so Brandon Schroeder, this is a letter he wrote to his supporters. He said, Thomas preached that we can choose to accept Christ as he is presented in the Bible or make him to be what we desire him to be based on our flesh and human expectations. For the Jews, they desired liberation from Rome, so they were thrilled when Jesus rode down the Mount of Olives. Yet he wasn't their liberator in the ways they wanted. Even in Isaiah, the people didn't accept God's promise of the Messiah, but rather they furiously rejected God and his prophet. We take our biases when we read Scripture and so want a God in our own image to deliver us from what we perceive as danger or trouble. We want him to take us to that desired haven, whatever it is. We want to attach him to our cause and for him to validate or reinforce our values or our tribes. It could be politics, relational family conflict, work pressures, etc. But we have to turn from that line of thinking and pray that our hearts are softened to see God as he is portrayed in the Bible. A God of justice, but also a God of love. A God that draws near and a God that bears our burdens. A God that desires to save us from our sin, should we accept that saving message that Christ's death is indeed enough. We can receive Christ as Messiah and our Savior, as Mary his mother did, or can encounter doubts that lead us to God like John the Baptist or Thomas, or we can outright sell out like the Pharisees and like Judas. 
We can harden our hearts and refuse Christ like the Israelites in the desert and the Jewish people of Jesus' day. I pray and hope that we receive Christ every day with joy and gratitude like Mary, his mother, did, even as we do and will face troubling times. And then he used 2 Corinthians 4, 17, yet our light and momentary troubles are producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. After Jesus tells John the Baptist, after Jesus tells the folks that are listening, sorry, uh, says, you know, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Then he goes into this discourse. And as they went away, verse 7, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he says, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Well, then what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Well, what then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you were willing to accept it, He is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. I read all that to you, not because I'm going to go into a big discourse. There's a bunch of theology in there. There's a bunch of incredible stuff. But here's why I read that to you. When you trust God's plan, and it is different than the plan you had for yourself, he will defend you. He will come to your aid. John the Baptist was not there, and the people were wondering, what's wrong with John the Baptist? Maybe they were wondering because he was doubting. Maybe they were wondering because he was in prison. Uh, maybe they, there's probably a lot of different reasons, but here's the deal. Jesus stopped, and he read their minds, and he defended John the Baptist. You do not have to defend yourself when you're obedient to the Lord. He will come to your aid. He will make your righteousness shine like the sun, is what the Psalms say. So you be faithful to him. Let him be God. You be faithful to him, and he will come to your rescue. He will come to your defense. You are his kid. He is not going to let his kids be talked about ways they shouldn't be talked about forever and ever. He will stop that because he loves you, and you are his, and he died for you. Let him be strong for you. You just walk in obedience with him as best you can. And then... Here's how, here's how he, he ends this, this whole thing. He says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. What Jesus is saying here is that for the really strict people, he sent John the Baptist, who was walking the straight and narrow, trying to get their attention to show them that Jesus loves them. The Messiah is on the way. Some of you teetotalers, he was for you, baby. Some of you not teetotalers, Jesus was for you. All right? He came and he was like, he was hanging out with the people. He was at uh, Smith's Old Bar. Like, he was like doing the thing. And uh, he was at Hannah Onley's release party. Like, he was like, he was hanging out. 
Now, he wasn't, he wasn't going too far. I'll just say that. But <clears throat> for those of you that are like, I, 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 need, I need to know that like Christianity isn't like super stiff and like I can live a little bit. Jesus showed him that. And you know what he said? He said, ultimately, people said, well, John's too stiff. He must, he, he must have it all wrong. And Jesus, he's too wild. He must have it all wrong too. And that's because at the end of the day, I think one of our biggest struggles as humans is we like to make God in our own image. And the Lord was revealing himself through people like John the Baptist. He certainly revealed himself through his son, Jesus. He has been revealed to us. And the question is, is he enough? Or am I just going to make up this, this image, this thing, and call that good enough? Psalm 37.4 is one of John Piper's favorite verses. He uses it all the time. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You need to realize that tonight on June, what day is it? I was in Israel for a while, June 27th. You need to realize that tonight on June 27th, you delight in either God or you. There is no middle ground. And if it's the Lord and he's disappointed you, just, just trust in the fact that he is holy and he is God and you are not. And maybe he just has this thing figured out, and I bet he does. But if it's you that you're delighting in, I think the scriptures beg the question, how's that working out? When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he becomes a sanctuary. And yes, he's going to disappoint at times, but blessed is the one who is not offended by him, the one who hangs on till the end and sees the plans of God. One of my favorite illustrations of this is the old artist illustration. And there's a story about this, uh, this, this artist he was painting this, this incredible work, and, uh, and someone came up to him, and they said, what is it? And he said, let me finish. And they came back a few days later, and he wasn't finished, and it looked even messier than before, and they said, what is it? And he said, just let me finish. And eventually, the, the, the curious onlooker quit coming because they had decided that artist had no idea what they were doing. And when it was finished... The art museums all over the world lined up to when they could have it displayed in their place. And the onlooker never saw the final result, never even tried to find it, because they just decided the artist didn't know what he was doing. The problem was, the onlooker was working on their timetable, and the artist was working on his. Let's let the Lord finish what he started. Let's pray. Father, would you just give us a heart and desire and strength to trust that Jesus is good and to not be offended by him and give us the grace to one more time rally and delight ourselves in the Lord that he might give us the desires of our heart. Lord, let us fear and dread, as Isaiah 8 says, you and begin to live in that upside-down kingdom of you are God and we are not. And as a result, Lord, may we find that you 
are the sanctuary that we've been looking for. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.